Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. If I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for short trek number four and final episode leading up to season two here. Matt, the escape artist, comes to you now via a slightly used sacred cudgel. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. Pete, as you mentioned, Season 2 starting soon in two weeks. We will be podcasting new episodes every weekend with an emphasis this season on hearing more from you, the listener. Be sure to share your feedback with Fantastic Geek via social media, fantasticgeek at gmail.com, or leave a message on our listener line, 732-707-1815, or you can email us an audio file. Won't you take our hand? Just a bit of clarification. The episodes are scheduled to air on Thursday nights. We, of course, will be watching. We will be live tweeting. We will be taking notes as well. Our podcast, because we want to give a little bit of space particularly our international listeners as well. Don't get it till the next day. Don't get it till Friday. So our podcasts are going to be recorded on Saturday, giving everybody ample time to check it out, to get in touch with us. Tell us your thoughts. And now for our mission briefing. This episode's writer is credited as Michael McMahon, also known as Mike McMahon of Rick and Morty fame and executive producer of the upcoming Star Trek The Lower Decks animated series. Coming to CBS All Access as soon as possible. Please don't cancel your account. He's also worked on South Park and the extremely strange animated genre-mixing scripted reality show Drawn Together. Lest we forget, Matt, perhaps his strongest writing credit of all of those was on the twitter indeed pete was that the tweets for next generation season eight was that the one yes that got him this star trek's uh lower decks gig uh why i have every faith in uh it delivering uh so uh michael mcmahon here uh amply talented and we see it in this short directed by rain wilson Yes, Pete, he has some other directing credits. He's directed a few episodes of a program called The Office. But, of course, you can't beat his acting credits. Wow. Hadn't had a directing credit in six years here. So a well-earned, well-timed return to the captain's chair. Pete, with that little disco in the air, take us into the episode. Tellerite Merchant Vessel D-Bar 756 Matt sees a tall female bounty hunter sell Harry Mud for a paltry 60 credits. Mud even offers to uh, up that, um, but instead he is indeed sold here, uh, tells his Tellerite captor, that he will wind up on the wrong end of a disintegration beam. Uh, his captor 
tells him that uh, he thought he'd never see this face again. Uh, but here we are. They're together. Uh, wait, did I try to sell you a used shuttle last year? And his captor uh, reveals to Mud that uh, Mud slept with his sister and stole his family's sacred cudgel. You know, the one passed down over a hundred years. He was going to give it to his son. Pete, first of all, I think that immediately lets us connect with the episode. Who among us has not wanted to pass down a cudgel from from parent to child over the years? I also want to say at the top of this scene, maybe through no fault of the episode, maybe because my heart was beating, there was new Star Trek back. Pete, CBS All Access actually released it 15 minutes early as opposed to 45 minutes late like last month. So um, we're square now, right? We're, we're, <laughs> we're square, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I, I must admit, I was initially unclear uh, who was selling mud to whom. And again, that might be completely me. I'll have to go back and watch, and as I often do with Discovery, rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. But even if it is the quote-unquote fault of the episode, the fact that you're immediately thrown into mud, this tall woman mysterious and a tellerite maybe the best tellerite makeup that we've seen in this series i don't mean short tracks because i'm not buying the short tracks as a series by itself by the way um but it's just kind of like massive confusion craziness and it's lovely especially all that stuff the sister the cudgel turns out of course it's that hand weapon and pete as i was typing in my notes oh it's like He's confusing humans. They must all look alike. Uh, do I say that on the podcast? Then Mud says it, Pete. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely worked. And I think, you know, this is why I have real faith in McMahon. The dialogue alone in this episode just absolutely snapped. Um, you know, hardcore Fenton Mund here. We find out uh, wanted by the Federation on 30 counts of smuggling, 20 counts of attempted homicide, one count of attempted regicide. <laughs> Guy was a duke, wasn't a king. Okay. What are we attempting to murder now? Accuracy, transportation of stolen goods, and one count of penetrating a space whale. You kind of had to be there, Matt, you know, in episode seven. And we were. That was maybe my favorite episode of the first season uh we learn that there's a a 100,000 credit bounty on mud's head and crit is going to profit uh from it on his bridge which in no way is a redress of i want to say the klingon prison maybe the discovery brig it's totally original a little tongue-in-cheek there pete but i always like looking at these short trek episodes through the lens of not a lot of money, so what are you going to do with it? And once again, this is not an episode that comes off as cheap. It maybe has slightly no. different emotional stakes, but as you said, McMahon has this script here that's all about Harry Mudd, the sizzling baloney talk, and plays to the strengths of this shorter-form madcap adventure. And the callbacks to particular lines here, of course, we get the first flashback. He's never been in a situation like this. And suddenly he's in the grips of a Klingon here. Uh, how dare you? Same as he had said before to his Tellarite captor. 
and he tells the Klingon that he hopes the bindings hold, otherwise he's going to carve off his skin like a suckling targ, and of course gets his face stepped on. I think the question we'll look at a little bit later, are these flashbacks this version of MUDs, or are they of the other androids? That is a good question. I... I'm pretty sure too, Pete, that the Klingon knocking him around here it looked like Vogue to me. I don't know how many pale-skinned Klingons there were, so it kind of was this moment of like, wait, what? What is going on here? Which I think adds further layer to your point in terms of you know the truth of this flashback. But quick enough, we're back to the present day where Mud is reassuring Crit that it's all lies. Pete, it's fake news, uh, but Mud as it turns out, has remembered the forbidden tryst with Crit's sister, her tusks, her stubble pressing into him, an image, Pete, that I <laughs> don't need. And you know what? If Overwhelmingly it... seductive, Matt. This <laughs> is the height of romance. No wonder in a fit of passion he absconded with this cudgel. Um, you know, say that three, three times fast. A memento uh, of love. Yes, and the sold turgid cudgel was. <laughs> it, uh, sold it. It's now in parts unknown, but he had to sell it because they needed capital, Matt. He's a member of the secret resistance that he is one of. And it kind of was this moment of, oh, wait, I know of another space uh space property that has a resistance what's going on here and of course there's the question haven't you heard of the resistance the secret resistance mud zeroing in on how they are similar the two of them if only they could work together yes uh while the federation blathers and prevaricates just the the again the word choice in this episode this short track is sublime uh the federation's hegemonic supremacy uh and they could resist it they could pool their resources surely you could see the wisdom in that they're just hanging out at the fringes for scraps and we get another flashback here that the other kindred spirit this uh diminutive female bounty hunter that's got mud and chains uh pulling him along she assures him, though, as strong as she is, she's of normal height. He's just very weak. <laughs> Which, I mean, such comedy in that moment where it could be, you know, she's normal height, he's huge. Instead, they go for she's normal. He should be able to fight her off and simply can't. Uh, it's Again, you're right. The dialogue here, I mean, they don't play it for kind of the full ha-ha, but it's just this it's this moment of comedy that really, really, uh, works. Um, she, you know, she gets the, the salesman pitch from him. Maybe they can work together, control their destiny together. She seems to be considering it, but why listen to him? She then does seem to be looking for her ship. Uh, he would like to show her something, maybe some moons perhaps. Yeah, uh, but she doesn't know if she can trust him, pulls the sword on him because she knows he's driven by insatiable greed here. And not even the tantalizing notion of those 27 moons of TARDIS 4 could try to uh, get her to change her mind. And we're back in the present here. He assures uh, Tevrin Crit 
Tevrin with a T, that is, Matt, that, of course, uh, he has no money, not a jot to his name. <laughs> Any of that money would have been liberated by the Federation taxman. Because, of course, if he had any money, he'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. Um, and uh, Crit says, well, you must have stashed it away. And Mud tells him how he's the poorest man he's ever met. Flash elsewhere another time where he's telling an Orion male slave or slaver that he's the richest man he's ever met. Uh, Pete, I propose that we use my notes credit for the man, which reads that he's speaking to Orion Sexy Time Man. <laughs> um, there's a bit of uh, brain play again. You know, you'll have enough money. You could buy yourself a cape. The Orion Sexy Time Man does wonder aloud that he could buy a cape. He'd look amazing in a cape. Uh, with that, the Orion's female partner comes in. Maybe we should call her Pete the the Orion brainy lady, because she clearly has more brains than sexy time, man. She reminds him if there's a camera watching them, it's, it's the obvious thing in the script and in the directing and in the editing to cut to a close up of the camera recording them, but it might be obvious, but it's also incredibly funny because it's just like, look, there it is looking down at them, red light and everything. Um, great great moment orion sexy time man gets dismissed uh she's in charge now and he's wrapped in chains and hanging and on camera pete is that overkill it's not because now he's going to try to of course work his charms on her uh he was going to make uh orion sexy time man's enemies skin greener with envy and now <laughs> he's talking about the luxurious green delectable lime skin of Orion brainy woman. A delectable lime. I mean, <laughs> Pete, you are reselling me on the beauty of the, the, the writing in this episode. It's just, and which, you know, I'm again, delectable lime. It's intentionally kind of clunky and over the top because that's yeah. the character. I'm not saying that, Mr. McMahon is automatically the next Shakespeare here, but it, it, he's written exactly what this episode needs to be. Um, Mud gets shocked by the delectable lime lady. Back to the present day we uh, go. Crit is ready to drop him off at the USS DeMilo. And uh, while he's at it, Mud can get rid of that knife in his boot. Great acting moment where he takes a knife and then just plink plonks it away in like the most pathetic throw ever. Yeah, he's not above begging here, and uh, he's concerned. He tells the Tellarite that the Federation is going to skin him alive, blow him out an airlock. He's sorry he stole the cudgel, uh, that he's better than this, Crit is. The Tellarites are better than this. He'll polish his tusks. He'll braid his little beard. He'll clean the lavatories on this ship. <laughs> Stopping short of other lavatories is great. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this this appeal falls on deaf ears and they beam over and you get the stiffest officer ever thought for a moment we were going to see pointy ears. Uh, might as well have been a Vulcan because as he's handed over this sack of derf for the bounty, uh, Tellerite is told, Tevrin Crit is told to follow him. 
Yes, the officer, an ensign to my eyes, if I saw the rank correctly, uh, tells him uh, essentially that there's not going to be one big latinum sum played. Pete, latinum, call out on this, the anniversary, 26th anniversary of uh, Star Trek Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, He says that this, in fact, is not Harcourt Fenton mud. And there's this moment in the story where it's like, well, how can he tell exactly? He explains that this is an android replicant. They've been getting dropped off all week. Uh, there's the open to open door to the, I guess, mud room uh, where there's <laughs> there's a variety of muds. There's um, six of them in there that I counted in various states of disrepair. These android duplicates with replicant DNA are programmed to distract until it's too late to demand a refund. Uh, crit then in anger slash to double check rips off mud's arm and he's an android replicant indeed jippers on the beach then they all start saying jippers on the beach and it's just this uh, it's the height of the madness that is this episode a, a, a sheer cacophony matt in the language and the parlance of this episode and then we're on another ship uh, where we see inside there's a mud head, there's another uh, mud android putting together a drink and serves it to that tall female bounty hunter from before who removes her helmet to reveal it's mud. Thank you, mud. You're welcome, mud. I think, by the way, I think one of the muds walked by hiding a cut, I suspect, from true woman to rain wilson in a more womanly garb or whatever but great moment there we just instinctively know that this is the real mud and um you know kind of all all's well that ends well uh, a call comes in mud takes it kind of using a slightly higher coquettish voice it's just voice but, communication but deactivates all the other muds when he's making the call so he, he knows when the jig could be up and he's milking this uh, before he's going to wind up making androids uh, later on. And, uh, you know, with his sweet, sweet Stella. And uh, ready to strike a deal for a mere 50,000 credits and maybe throw in that cudgel to end the episode. Pete, for a wee episode, we have all sorts of threats coming in on our threat analysis here. The first one looks Tellerite to me. It's Tevrin Crit. Tevrin with a T, Matt. Say it with the respect it demands. And yeah, this makeup job only embellished by McMahon's dialogue here. The tusks, the stubble. Um, completely sold from an imagination standpoint. And uh, though we had Tellarites, what, 52 years ago now, uh, never looked better, never been more menacing. It's the best Tellarite makeup job that we've seen thus far. I know there's some good ones last season. Uh, and I know that the, the actor playing, uh, playing Tevrin, uh, was in discovery episodes. I don't think as a, uh, I don't think as a Tellarite though, though it might've been in the, I don't think as a Tellarite, that's the bottom line. Um, but 
here they figured out a way to get his eyes to pop more, which is what it's all about, windows to the soul, etc. And that helps sell the funny moments where he's supposedly thinking over the offer and then back when he's not believing it. The, the makeup here facilitating the character, facilitating his menace to Mud, which of course is a fine line performance-wise because we're not exactly on Mud's side ever. So difficult to be the straight man cast against Rain Wilson's Harry Mud, and here for this guy to seem nearly the entire time to have the upper hand, to not be buying into Mud's chicanery, and then at the end to have it revealed you've been duped by an android. It's just so perfectly sold by the seriousness of his character. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an unsung role, as you say, just in terms of, you know, all he is is just occasionally, I think I'm thinking about this. No, I'm not. I think I'm thinking about this. No, I'm not. And in a certain sense, it's the glue that holds the episode together. Our Klingon, Matt, though we never get a name, um, in fact, they had shown the Klingon in the preview to the point where I was convinced this was going to be a story that was going to take place on Kronos uh, in that, uh, you know, Orion district that we saw in uh, the season one finale. As we've discovered with prior uh, short treks, they they seem to be short on IMDb credits like the the night it airs i don't know if that's you know the way it is for normal broadcast shows or normal streaming shows or whatever it might be uh clearly there are more than three people in this episode imdb as we record this the night in which the uh, the episode is dropped only has uh harry mudd federation officer and tellerite credited uh, again and it you know went by quickly and we were watching quickly and taking notes feverishly I kind of thought that was Vogue, but I certainly could have been wrong. I don't think that it was. I did not scrutinize it to that point, though. We certainly didn't get um, the voice to know whether that was the case or not. Um, but just that a Klingon shows up, that um, Mud had had dealings, of course, with the Klingons in season one. He was prepared to sell Discovery to them, albeit in multiple attempts um, when he was using the, uh, the time device. Um, and here he gets his face stomped, if not robotically, fatally, um, by one of these Klingons. RIP Mud's face, RIP. Although something tells me he'll bounce back. Uh, next on the list, Pete, the diminutive female bounty hunter, what she lacked in height, she made up for in spunk. Certainly not in a sense of direction and where she left her ship. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess I guess it all can't it all can't win out. Um, I wonder, you know, you you asked the question before, what is this layer upon layer in terms of um, are these flashbacks true flashbacks? Um, I'm going to lean towards, yes, that Mud has just programmed in as much true stuff as possible. And I just like this. I mean, this is just a neat conceit where she's clearly a good enough bounty hunter to track him, to catch him, but not so good that she can't keep track of, of you know, ever remember where we parked. <laughs> yeah. And again, the way that they sell it, that uh, she's normal, 
that he's weak. Uh, we always know Mud to be dainty, to be a poser, uh, somebody who puts on airs. And then, of course, he tries to sweet talk uh, this woman. So it doesn't end well for him anyway. I wonder if in his retelling, if he, you know, does he woo her? Like, how does that end? Uh, maybe maybe for Short Trek season two, Short Trek's a, a wholly different show than Star Trek Discovery. Um, maybe we, maybe we explore that again, but Pete, the story takes us to another villain. This one with one of those, um, I don't know, whippy things from, I guess that movie that my wife watched the first one of and said, this is too ridiculous. <laughs> um, but sexy time Orion male has one of those. Yeah. Looked like an Orion version of Aladdin to me <laughs> <laughs> on a magic carpet ride of sexy times um yeah but pete he's clearly the dumber one um i'm not going to say that the use of either orion character is necessarily a blow for you know gender equality or whatever because they're orions i think we can all agree you know space pirates etc but i just like the juxtaposition from the normal way that this would be written which is yeah. man smart woman not instead this guy is just dumb incredibly incredibly dumb that we're fighting the tide that she's able to refer to him as an imbecile and not have violence rained down upon her and then of course she doesn't fall for mud's nonsense and electrocutes him um, yeah, kind of showing more grit, certainly showing more consequence. Uh, I hope we get more of her. She had, I don't know, she had a good, a good sense on screen. And lastly, Matt, we have to ask the question, is Harry Mudd a threat in this episode? I think he's a threat to himself. Um, <laughs> I mean, at what point do you realize you're, you're in this cycle of, you know, um, Targ pellets nonstop in your life. Uh, I mean, clearly that's part of the that's part of the makeup of the character, in part because we had him in you know in multiple episodes and even in the animated series. And it's kind of you know the same old, same old you know so and so. But you know, I mean, he's the villain driving this narrative. Let's put it like that. All the ill has come from him, whether it's Mud Prime or. Well, let's start with that. Mud Prime, Mud in the bosomy outfit. He is the <laughs> villain in this episode that has caused all the trouble for every other character, including Mud the robot. I want an entire episode where he wears the bosomy outfit with the helmet off and no one ever says anything. I want I want that. And if there's anybody who could do that, it's Rain Wilson as a performer to get people to focus on him and not the outrageous outfit he would have on. You know what it's kind of like? Uh, it reminded me, I don't know, maybe it was an influence as far as Gersha Phillips' tremendous outfits. But um, there's that Office episode. They have so many great Halloween episodes, but where – uh, Dwight is wearing this like outlandish video game character with long hair and uh, crazy uh, shoulder pads. And it was almost like, wait, is is he in that outfit? <laughs> well, Pete, I have more to say about 
those some of those shoulder accoutrements, shall we head to some long range sensors? Engage. So as we talk some theories, Pete, I could not help but notice that one of the previously captured uh, mud robots in the the mud room had the epaulets, uh, which we see chronologically later mud in classic Trek wearing. Um, just a really, really nice costume moment. Nice canon moment. <gasps> yeah. Is Ooh. is this my Star Trek? Yes, this is your Star Trek. And uh, maybe this is the epaulette origin story. I don't know. Too soon for the hat, I think. Um, but hopefully Rain Wilson's going to be a steady contributor here uh, with the character and will eventually earn that hat. Oh, I have no doubt that he will earn the hat. Pete, do you have any other theories in this uh, this smaller episode, perhaps one that is high on on kind of flight of fancy and not quite... You know, it's not asking one, what is the nature of God? What is the nature of love? What is the nature of ambition? It's just a madcap adventure. It's the dessert of these short treks. Well, we obviously know from uh, the later, uh, you know, obviously um, broadcast earlier um, episodes that take place later that uh, Mud comes across uh, android copies of Stella so here I think it's a great homage to have him first using the Android technology, whether it's indeed even the same type, but that he's done this to other people and it will be later done to him, I think is particularly delicious. Do you realize, Pete, that with this episode, we have now equaled the mud run from the classic Trek era, which is to say yeah. classic Trek had him in two, two full episodes, episodes and then yeah. A short episode in the animated series so not that I'm, I'm not saying where that's i mean I, I'm, not, I'm not saying oh my star trek is being taken away you know none of that nonsense it's just like oh man we just equaled what was done in the 60s and early 70s was the mud in the bounty hunter outfit the female bounty hunter do you think that was really harry mud I think we are meant to conclude that. I don't think the episode is asking for us to have some sort of, you know, like uh, those Russian dolls. Like, it's not that, you know, and is this the real one? Ooh, Twilight Zone. Uh, also coming to CBS All Access. Uh, you know, what is the nature of reality? I think it's just, no, the guy doing the selling is the guy running the scam the end it doesn't now need to then be but he's a secret robot who then transfers it to the real mud somewhere else on his moon it's just here's the end finito headgear really looms large in this episode what with the helmet that disguises whatever mud that may be but we have the helmeted alien that we saw whether it's the same uh character on the Shenzhou, uh, that Lieutenant Jira Nawani, or just another member of that race with the Daft Punk style helmet there seen in the hallway of the USS DeMilo. We also, Matt, see the helmet that Mud wore uh, when he was inside the Gormagander and came out that looked Andorian in a sense that it would be able to accommodate the antennae. 
Yes, and I think that's probably further proof that this is the real mud because some of his accoutrements from prior adventures are there. Uh, as for the robot-like uh, crew member, here's where I'm going to come on it in terms of you know who is it, what's the origin. I'm going to say they needed a cool thing that they already had to spice <laughs> up the thing, and I don't think you know there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, no. I mean, uh, Worf's chair, you know, with the big, the, the big ball things and whatnot that were on it you know it's like in all these episodes it's been in other stuff i know there was some like space light neon thing that would go bleep bloop bloop bleep and kind of cycle around that was in next generation all the time it was in stuff before it and after it you know i think so, sometimes a set decoration or a costume is just that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna use this intersection to be like oh man secret theory about the robot people and where did they go because we never see them on Kirk's Enterprise. It's a big galaxy out there, Matt, but could we see the DeMilo again? I think that's super likely. I mean, the design of it, uh, it, to my eyes, we had not seen a ship quite like that before. And then maybe we had, and it was just, you know, in the background in a fight scene or something like that. But I mean, the next time you want to have a ship show up, you can have that show up, whether it's the DeMilo or not. Probably easier to just keep calling it the DeMilo and have a neat little moment where, you know, like we don't know who who answered the hail from the Tellarite. So if you're like, oh man, well, we can't get that actor back or whatever. All right, get somebody else to be the captain or to be the the communications officer or whatever whatever it might be. Let's get a little DeMilo subplot going there. Maybe get one of those novel writers to be like, Voyages of the DeMilo or you know, three episode comic book, you know, three issue comic book run, the DeMilo Adventures, a Star Trek Discovery spinoff. And of course, Pete, these spinoffs are to uh, to capitalize on the success of a show, much like our listeners can capitalize on the, the Fantastic Geek family of podcast success by heading over to patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek and lending a hand there. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. We just paid the bill for last year and could not have done it without our patrons. Otherwise, our secret resistance would not be able to continue. Yes, Pete, we are genuinely so proud to be listener supported, particularly, you know, as as some of those bills need to get paid a couple have been paid couple are still coming up that kind of thing so certainly so nice to be able to say that we are listener supported here at fantastic geek with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir pete first tweet comes to us courtesy of our pal bob keely who says a nice twist at the end uh, we also heard from james that's at big killin on twitter who says of the episode it was very light Two weeks feels like an eternity. Well, I hope that the two weeks uh, before season two starts comes really quick because it, it's been impressive how quickly the month has gone each time short track to short track. And now with just two weeks here until we're getting full run episodes, you know, these 15 minute tastes have been good, but ready for like. 44 minutes absolutely i think that this short trek run has it has been a successful outing 
I think the wisest decision that they made was to have this one be last because mm -hmm. it is light. It, it is fun. The other three, I think, asked bigger questions, tried to do more character stuff. And while I think I like those better, this time in the desert that we've had where it's just been the, you know, these little things once a month, this was the dessert in the desert where you say, ah, this, you know, you kind of finish this not with kind of profound questions of, you know, I mean, that's Saruwan. I mean, my goodness, talking about faith versus, you know, uh, advancing yourself and all that. And, and, and the prior two um, were great. Calypso, I still think Calypso is like a top, top 100 Star Trek episode, even in its short length. But this was just kind of like, boy, that was great. Did we have fun at Short Treks, Pete? Sure we did. Let's pay the bill and, and head on out of the Short Treks restaurant. Absolutely. We will have one final preview prior to season two where we'll take some really far out looks in terms of what to expect in season two. And we will put a bow on all four Short Treks then. So look out for that about a week to a couple days before season two begins on Thursday, January 17th. Matt, can't wait. I know. And please, listeners, share your thoughts, your anticipation, what you think is going to happen, your predictions for season two. We really want to up that dialogue. Part of the reason why we've decided to not podcast the night of or the afternoon right after the night that an episode drops is, you know, when we had done that towards the end of the first season, I, I'll admit, Pete, I don't even remember whether it was for our scheduling reasons or because some of the episodes were getting a bit more kind of meaty. It was like all of a sudden people were kind of filling that space after a couple of days saying, here's what I think, here's what I think. It was really, really wonderful. So again, hit us up on social media, hit us up at fantasticgeek.gmail.com. Call the listener line, share your audio feedback, you know, by emailing an audio message, whatever it might be. We really want to up that conversation for season two. Absolutely. So enjoy being able to talk Star Trek in all its forms with all our listeners. Well, Pete, with that, let's talk contacts. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 10,277 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and as mentioned before, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back talking Star Trek again in the days leading up to season two dropping. If you're enjoying us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, my goodness, Pete, we're still doing Runaways. We got that coming. We have some Punisher coming. We have Godfriend of Me coming. We've worked carefully to make sure that our engines are not going <laughs> to overload. We do have an extra a, an extra patch on the dilithium chamber there just to make sure things don't fly apart. Good news is, Pete, Star Trek is at the core of it, and I'm yes. excited for all of this. Labor love. Can't wait to be bringing this to you. Well, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final Short Trek word. How dare you? How dare you put your hands on me, you filth?